People are the weakest link in any cybersecurity plan. We're distracted, exhausted, and often unmotivated. It's time to change the approach used to protect our businesses, technology, identity, and data. The human element has to be front and center in a war against data breaches and ransomware attacks. It's time to educate. Recently, I was on site replacing some networking equipment for a client. During this process, I needed some configuration information from the ISP. The owner of the business was not available and I had no information about the account other than the static IP and the name of the ISP. I found a phone not in use in the business and determined that the phone was also through the ISP. Knowing that most telecommunications companies utilize 611 to call from their provider phones into the ISP, I gave it a shot. Sure enough, I got into the ISP's queue and was verified right away because I was calling from the phone system they provided. Great. When I got a rep on the phone, I asked for the information I was looking for, and I was asked for additional account information in the form of an account PIN. This is a common procedure now for a lot of telecommunications providers. And I was also advised that they would need this information from the account holder. Fortunately, I had not given them a name yet, but I was not sure whose name the account was under, so I played dumb. Oh, I'm not sure if the account is under my operations manager or myself. Let me see if I can find the recent bill. The rep came back with Mr. Smith. I still hadn't given my name yet. It looks like you haven't set up a pin on your account yet. We can do that now. I just need some information from your modem. Fortunately, the modem was right in front of me, so I provided the MAC address to the rep and then asked to, to, that they verify the networking information I needed. They obliged, and I said, oh, I would call back to set up the pin. I disconnected the call and went about my day. I've done this numerous times to a number of telecommunication companies for various reasons. While the account verification requirements have gotten stricter, it can still be done given the right person on the other end of the phone and a little bit of honey. This is what you call pretexting. Welcome to the Human Element Podcast. Visit our website at thehumanelement.net for more content to help you strengthen your awareness of the people problem in cybersecurity. I am Scott Gumbar, owner of Nuage Tech, a client-focused, security-minded, proactive IT service provider. All right, this is episode 16, and we're going to call this pretexting what you need to know. That's a working title for now, but I may change the title on the social media stuff and the website. Anyway, um, you hear a lot about social engineering. Why is it so successful? Why are this? Why are people falling for these tricks all the time? Uh, and often it starts with pretext. Almost always it starts with pretexting. And pretexting, the definition of pretexting, is a social engineering technique in which an attacker creates a false or fabricated scenario to deceive and manipulate their target into divulging sensitive information, granting access to restricted resources, or performing actions that benefit the attacker. Pretexting often involves the attacker impersonating a trustworthy individual or authority figure, such as a company executive, IT support personnel, or law enforcement officer. The attacker crafts a convincing narrative or pretext, leveraging the target's trust and willingness to comply 
ultimately leading to the compromise of information or systems. Now, you've probably seen TV shows where pretexting is done. Somebody dresses up as, let's say, a, a UPS driver and pretends to deliver a package and uh, gets through the, the front doors and into the office and then you know does whatever they're there to do. Well, this is that is a form of pretexting. It's also called piggybacking. Sometimes they they um, get through following somebody else while carrying a bunch of boxes. So that's that's a form of it. It happens more now virtually. So in other words, through phone call or email, they'll pretend to be someone they're not or uh, set up a pretext using a method that would gain the trust. So it's sort of a form of rapport, rapport building, I guess. They would gain the trust. And you'll hear this a lot, the Microsoft scams. So somebody calls up, pretends to be from Microsoft, says they've noticed that your computer is spreading uh, malware throughout the, uh, the internet, and they want to um, gain access to your computer to help troubleshoot the problem. And so you let them onto your computer thinking this is actually a Microsoft employee. They may even spoof their number. This is part of pretexting a lot of the time. They'll spoof their number. Uh, and that in itself is not that hard to do. Uh, but they'll spoof their number, get onto your system, and then they're going to likely steal some information, install a way to get back onto your computer or install a keylogger, any number of things that could happen. And ultimately, this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to gain something gain information, gain access, something. And usually the end result can be very damaging. So what are some examples of pretexting? So I've created, uh, I've got one story from 2021, and then I've created another sort of narrative of what a pretext would look like. And so we're going to get to both of those. So the story from 2021 is... Hackers impersonate HR employees to hit Israeli targets. And ultimately what they do is these are Iranian hackers, Iranian, they're associated with the Iranian government, uh, a group called Lyceum or Lycium, Hexane and Siamese Kitten. They pretend they created a LinkedIn profile for the former HR manager of a technology company called Chip PC to create um, to create a profile on LinkedIn of someone who's looking to recruit employees. Now, pretexting the pretext that they did is they found the identity of a former HR person. So you, we often wonder why do people create clones of our Facebook accounts or clones or LinkedIn or Instagram accounts. And this is why they're trying to trick someone into doing something. They're trying to create a pretext. So what they found was that this person or this group, I should say, created a fake LinkedIn profile using the name of an ex HR manager at chip PC. And then when they did this, they were able to use a pretext of a job offer and it ultimately delivered malware to potential victims. And how did they do this? So first they identified potential victims that would be employees or potential employees. 
They identified human resources department employees to impersonate. They created a phishing website that impersonates the target organization. And again, it's not hard to duplicate a website. It's actually gotten even easier thanks to artificial intelligence. They created lure files compatible with the impersonated organization. When you think of lures, you think of, you know, like phishing bait. Um, they set up fake profile LinkedIn in the name of the HR employee, contacted potential victims with an alluring job offer detailing a position in the impersonated organization, sending the victim to a phishing website with the lure file, and then that person in going then downloading that file uh, downloaded a backdoor that infected the system and connected to a command and control server over DNS and HTTPS. So these are um, protocols that are used to connect to other resources over the internet. Then there's something called the Danbot Remote Access Trojan is downloaded to, to the infected system. And a remote access Trojan is something that allows for the bad guys to maintain access to your device, your computer, whenever they want. And then hackers also got data for espionage purposes and try to sped, spread on the network. So this is what they did. This was back, um, this was reported in 2021, but it goes back as far as 2018. They started doing this campaign. So they used the pretext of, of an HR manager to attract their potential victims. Their potential victims would be job seekers. And in doing so, they were able to gain access to systems, maintain that access, steal data, and eventually remote probably other malicious content, and then spread throughout the network, which is probably what they're most interested in, and gain access into um, the business, any number of businesses, really. So they gain access, somebody's looking to change jobs, so you might have, it might be an internal job board, um, they might have cloned an internal job board or an external job board, depending on how the company works. And then in doing so, gotten current employees to download this malware onto the system, which then probably helped them get a foothold into the network and spread throughout the network. All this was successful because they used the pretext of an HR manager for an IT company. And the, the image shared in the article, the articles on Bleeping Computer, um, didn't even, the LinkedIn profile didn't even have a profile image. Now, I don't know if that's an accurate um, depiction of what really happened, but that is uh, what they shared. So no profile image, and people still fell for it, if that is the case. Now, the reason something like that would be so, so successful is because there are people looking for jobs all the time. They want, you know, a better job, a better paying job, something they'd rather do than what they're currently doing. All of these reasons, people are always looking. You know, I own a company, and I'm, I'm I still look at the jobs that are available sometimes uh, because, uh, partly because sometimes some of those jobs could actually be potential clients, but also partly because you never know. You never know what might you, what you might stumble on. And I definitely looked way more often when I was employed by someone else. I looked for jobs all the time um, because you always have to keep your options open. Pretexting is often the very first step or one of the very first research is probably the first step. But then once you have that research and the information you need, then pretexting is, is next. You've got to create that relationship. You've got to build that rapport. And that's what pretexting really is all about.
All right, so now here's my fictional story, which may or may not loosely be based on actual events. But anyway, the mastermind's plan. This is called, this, I'm going to call this story The Unseen Intruder. The mastermind's plan is chapter one. John Kellerman, a highly skilled social engineer, had meticulously crafted his plan to infiltrate Exocorp, a multinational technology firm known for its advanced cybersecurity measures. He had spent months researching the company and its employees, studying their habits, and gathering as much information as possible. His goal was to gain access to Exocorp's cutting-edge artificial intelligence technology. John's plan was to use pretexting, a social engineering technique in which an attacker creates a believable scenario to manipulate their target into revealing sensitive information. He decided to pose as a high-ranking executive from Exocorp's headquarters, contacting employees through carefully crafted emails and phone calls. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and say a lot of these companies, especially certain types of companies, and I'm not going to list those types of companies, but a lot of these companies like to display their high-ranking officials on their websites. And in some companies list their entire team, and this could be used against you. Chapter two, the deception begins. John initiated his plan by sending a well-written email to the company's head of IT, Sarah Thompson. The email appeared to come from Exocorp CEO and informed Sarah that an urgent security audit would be conducted by an external team led by John Kellerman, a seasoned cybersecurity expert. To make the email more convincing, John added details that he would he that he had gleaned from his research, such as references to a recent company event and CEO's personal interests. Sarah, convinced by the authenticity of the email, responded with her cooperation and provided John with her direct phone number. Because it's human nature to be cooperative, to be nice, to be helpful, and so Sarah says, "Yeah, I'm going to help out." This sounds important. John called Sarah, posing as the cybersecurity. This is chapter three now. The phone call. So John called Sarah, posing as a cybersecurity expert tasked with leading the security audit. He skillfully used his knowledge of industry jargon and Exocorp's internal procedures to establish trust. He told Sarah that a series of tests would be conducted to ensure that the company's security protocols were up to date and that he needed remote access to the company servers. That should be a red flag right there. To make the request appear legitimate, John mentioned specific details about Exocorp's security protocols and emphasized the need for confidentiality. Sarah, eager to assist in the security audit and believing John to be a trusted expert, provided him with the necessary login credentials. Chapter 4, The Breach. With Sarah's help, John successfully gained remote access to Exocorp servers. Unbeknownst to Sarah, he began searching for the coveted AI technology. He meticulously navigated the company's complex network, bypassing firewalls and other security measures. John found the files he was looking for and swiftly downloaded them onto his encrypted laptop. With the prized technology in his possession, he covered his tracks and disconnected from the networks, the company's network. And then chapter five, the aftermath. In the following days, Exocorp discovered the breach and launched a full-scale investigation. Sarah was devastated to learn that she had unwittingly aided in the theft of the company's most valuable asset. The experience served as a harsh lesson in the importance of vigilance and skepticism, even when dealing with seemingly trustworthy individuals. As for John, he vanished without a trace, leaving Exocorp to grapple with the consequences of the attack. The unseen intruder had successfully exploited the power of pretexting, demonstrating the chilling effectiveness of social engineering in the digital age. So now the question is, how do you protect yourself from this? So I'm going to give you a, a couple of 
common techniques um, and in another story and then we'll wrap it up with how to protect yourself. So one of the more common pretexting methods is phishing emails. We talked about phishing on this podcast a lot, um, but phishing emails a lot of the time is sent with um, false intentions. So some of the more common ones, you you receive a receipt for um, your purchase from, from Best Buy for $500. So that's meant to do two things. One is start a pretext because you're gonna, then going to place a phone call. And two, to, to scare you a little bit because you just spent $500 and you're not aware of it. Another common um, phishing scenario that I'm starting to see more and more of in my own inboxes is that my Facebook account is going to be suspended or deleted. And Facebook doesn't just randomly send these emails out. And often you can tell that it's fake because of the email sender. But, you know, that's a different topic. Just know that phishing is a common form of pretexting, along with its variations of vishing, which is voice phone calls, which is probably more common um, because it does have a higher level of trust when it's done over phone or texting, smishing. Um, When they're combined with text message and or phone and phone call or email and phone call, they have a much higher success rate. So look out for that. Tailgating attacks, we talked a little bit about that. The UPS uh, driver comes in with a bunch of packages in hand and you more apt to hold the door for them because they can't get the door for themselves. You should just advise them. One suggestion is to advise them to wait for whoever the delivery is for. Another suggestion is to um, hold, uh, offer to hold the packages so that they can do what they need to do to get into the, the building. Um, because if that's the case and they are tailgating, then they're more likely to just leave. But this can, it's not just UPS drivers, pizza deliveries, uh, HVAC employees, electrical employees, uh, they should be allowed in by the person they're claiming to be there for. Um, now here's one that's a little more complex that uses both phone and text. You suddenly receive a phone call stating that they detected fraudulent activity on your bank. And the person on the other end says that they need to verify who they're talking to. So before they can verify that, they will send you a text message and just give them the, the code that's in the text message. This is your two-factor authentication that they're setting off by trying to log into your account. So you provide the code, and now they have access to your bank account. And this is done, uh, this is starting to increase more and more. Uh, The important thing here is never provide your two-factor authentication code to anybody. The banks or any other organization does not need it to access whatever information they're trying to access never provide two-factor authentication code to anybody. Now, here's a scenario um, that occurred in real life. Ubiquity Networks, they make networking equipment that we are one of, we're actually partnered with them. Uh, One of the networking equipment vendors that we use lost almost $40 million due to an impersonation scam. Their pretexter sent messages to Ubiquity employees pretending to be a corporate executives and requested millions of dollars to be sent to various bank accounts. One of the techniques used was a lookalike URL. So this is when you buy a domain. So let's say their, their domain, I don't know if they own ubiquity.com, but I, that's not the domain that I'm familiar with. So let's say they do own ubiquity.com 
they change one of the I's to a one. And so when the email goes out with that domain name, the URL, it doesn't, you, it looks like ubiquity.com because of the way the I's and the ones look alike or an L, anything like that. So that's a common um, scenario where they use lookalike URLs. There's some law around pretexting. Pretexting, generally speaking, is illegal in the United States, but especially for financial institutions that are that fall under the Graham Leach Bliley Act, the GLBA of 1999. There is an update to that act. There is the FTC safeguards safeguard rule that's going into effect on June 9th, and that uh, broadens the scope of the FTC and also broadens who is covered under the rules. And there are more institutions now, not just banks, but lots of other financial institutions. And I'm using air quotes because it's a little bit gray for some, but there are a lot of businesses that fall under that now. So now it is it will be illegal for pretexting to be used against any of these organizations. Now, there there are scenarios where it is legal. You require a sign-off by the company itself, and this is for pen testing purposes. So how do you prevent pretexting? It's mostly education. There's really not much else you could do. There's not a software out there that's going to prevent pretexting. Now, there are methods to um, prevent what comes after pretexting, you know, the launching of malware or or uh, installation of remote access Trojans and things like that, those can be prevented. However, the actual pretexting itself cannot be stopped. It, there will always be attempts. And so the best ways to do that is one, education, two, processes. So have processes in place that say, you know, if we're going to wire money, this is the steps we need to take. We do not accept communications via X, Y, and Z. If you need to change instructions, this is what you need to do to change those instructions. So have very strict processes that cannot be changed for anything. Um, and then the education. You know, this podcast is a form of education. Having training, uh, training within your organization to teach your all employees, and that's from the top down, all employees, on how to recognize social engineering scams and how to, what to do in the event that you do recognize a social engineering scam. So there's going to be different responses for different things. Phishing emails, you're going to report it to IT and, and have them investigate. If it's uh, somebody trying to piggyback their way into the building, that's a different set of rules. Uh, if it's um, somebody calling on the phone pretending to be the, the CFO, that's going to have a different set of rules. Um, so there's going to be the, the processes and then there's going to be the education and that's really all you can do to prevent any type of social engineering um, but especially pretexting because if you if you recognize it in the early stages of the attack you're more likely to prevent it from occurring at all and that's going to do it for episode 16 pretexting what you need to know uh, i do apologize for the basically four month layoff it's been the watch tech has blown up and i've been super busy um, i'm going to try to get back to at least twice a month on this podcast so look for future episodes so until next time stay safe stay secure